This podcast is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union. Welcome to the Rice Reporting Podcast. This is a show aiming to improve the rights of blind and partially sighted citizens in Europe. And my name is Nevin Milovojevic, and I will be today's host. The today's episode will focus on the important right of digital inclusion. It is, for instance, stipulated in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities in Article 9, the convention called UNCRPD. So what is digital inclusion? Well, one way of describing it is the ability of individuals and groups to access and use information and communications technologies. It includes not only access to the internet, but also the availability of hardware, software, digital content, and services. And not to forget, also training for digital literacy, skills required for effective use of information and communication technologies. So one very important step towards this digital inclusion has been the preparation and the decision about the European Accessibility Act, where the European Commission had a key role. Today, In our episode, we will hear more about what this implies and about the challenges and possibilities which lay in front of us. We will meet two experts, one from Estonia and one from Croatia, and we will hear more about barriers and challenges, but also about possibilities and tools for solutions. Let's first listen to Ines Hlevniak, from Croatia, who will tell us about her experience when trying to create a profile on the funding and tenders portal of a European Commission. Two or three months ago, I decided mm, that I wanted to explore a little bit more the European Commission's funding and tenders portal, where one can find all the EU programs offering Uh, funding for companies and associations. And the first problem I encountered was the search box that I couldn't use. I am the user of a screen reader. Then I was uh, using the NVDA and um, I couldn't choose filters or any parameters. So I had to go through all available and not available. Uh, funding opportunities till I got to the one that was interesting for me. A couple of times I also experienced the problem with the European Commission's notice that was interfering with the screen reader uh, because the notice, for example, uh, was informing the people that some function of the portal was not available at that time. And at the same time, I wanted to hear like the text uh, my cursor was on. So that was really frustrating. So after I read the call documentation, I figured I had to, to create a profile on the portal to be able to submit a proposal. 
for the project and um, there I had the problem because uh, firstly I couldn't jump to the section but I had to go through all the the information on the site and it took me more time that than it should have and another problem was that the editing boxes uh, in the in the part where I had to um, uh, fill in my personal information were not accessible for a screen reader so I couldn't select for example the country I'm from uh, or similar so uh, I was a little bit disappointed with that and um, then I decided to um, write to the IT help desk of the European Commission and there was another disappointment because uh, neither that form, help form, was uh, accessible. Uh, there I couldn't select the country, uh, neither the field uh, of the problem that I was experiencing, so I felt desperate and really left behind. I would like to welcome our two guests for today's podcast. We have Jakob Rosin from uh, Estonia, who is the chair of Estonian Blind Union. And we also have Bruno Tort, uh, assistive technology expert at the Croatian Association of the Blind. So, Bruno, what are your thoughts about Ines Hrevniak's story? So, since she's my work colleague at the Blind Union, I am quite familiar with the case. In fact, uh, I helped create a video showcasing the issues with the accessibility of the website which turned out to be wildly inaccessible, especially the help desk part where you are supposed to report the issues, which was quite ironic. And uh, the whole thing with the, um, with, the, with the accessibility issues, I find also ironic uh, on the whole, since uh, the uh, tenders site and the European Commission in general, you know, it's structured, uh, it, it's, its purpose is to fund projects and activities that also include uh, improving the accessibility. Uh, they had responded uh, since then. Uh, they, state, they had stated they are working on uh, a new platform which should be completely accessible. So the only thing right now that we can do is uh, sit and wait and be patient and uh, hope for the best now. And it's, um, it's frustrating uh, for a visually impaired person uh, I mean, I know from personal experience as well, when you need to get to some information and you have the skills and the knowledge as she does for accessing the site and uh, yet, you know, the information is just out of her reach because, well, the site or, or any, any sort of information, uh, any platform was not designed correctly. So uh, I can sympathize. I understand. And what about you, Jakob? Do you have any reflections about the case we just heard? Yeah, so uh, from my experience, those barriers keep showing up in like most unexpected places. Um, you know, for example, the European Commission um, is talking uh, quite a bit about accessibility. And, um, you know, with all our accessibility directive and the Accessibility Act. So you would assume they themselves are paying attention to their own accessibility. And it's quite unexpected that those issues show up in these cases where, you know, especially you want your 
voice to be heard or or they would want to get the input of the european citizens so i'm i'm actually a little shocked more shocked than average because you know we are used to accessibility issues unfortunately but um we're a a, a an institution which is talking about accessibility and trying to enforce it doesn't follow their own rules. I think that's quite peculiar. It is significant, yes. Well, but that brings us then to the to the topic of uh, the new Accessibility uh, Act, uh, which actually was handled by the European Commission. And uh, could, could you tell us a little more about the Act and what we can expect for the future from this Accessibility Act? As many rules do, many directives and acts, they kind of try to paint a very nice future for us. So the Accessibility Act actually does kind of try to um, enforce accessibility rules onto a lot of different areas and sectors. There's um, public transport, there's banking, there are e-commerce uh, possibilities, etc. So as we know, we have the European Union uh, Web Accessibility Directive, which was um, enforced a couple of years ago. Uh, but that only focused itself on um, the websites of public sectors, so governments and um, institutions from, from, the, from your own country. But everything in um, private sector has been quite left out. And um, it's not good to force everything by rule, but it certainly helps. And I'm glad that the Accessibility Act is um, coming into play here. So, for example, the Act could um, help us uh, enforce accessible payment terminals or accessible um, ATMs uh, on the streets. We have those issues showing up everywhere where payment terminals are becoming touchscreen and um, unusable for blind and visually impaired users, or um, the ticket machines which we see in train stations and, uh, and in bus stations where you can buy tickets. Those are all touchscreens. Grocery stores are um, heavily uh, implementing self-service uh, kiosks and, uh, and mechanisms. Those are inaccessible as well because all of them are based on uh, touchscreen uh, terminals which are not accessible. All of those topics are being covered under the Accessibility Act. And it's going to be interesting for a few years. The implementation period for that is quite long. I'm, I'm from the top of the year, my, my head, the, the end ideally is in the 2030s. I think 2035 is the year where everything has to be uh, accessible. So it's it's about 13 years to go here. And part of the reason it's that long is that um, much of this technology doesn't exist. So the manufacturers really need to start thinking today, well actually yesterday, they should have started thinking on how to make their products accessible because it's going to be needed. The manufacturers who um, make those terminals and devices are soon going to be bombarded by um, stores and then other companies who, you know, uh, maybe uh, give those terminals to stores uh, on, on demands and accessibility. So it's going to be a, a whole set of new standards, new rules on, on this front as well. So technically, it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited to see what's, what's going to happen. The act isn't ideal in the sense that 
it has left out some some things. There are some exemptions like transport. Um, the urban transport is not um, fully accessible. There are terminals inside uh, transport, like you know you have some. Um, information screens or, or or stuff like that in trains, those don't usually need to be accessible. So there there are some exemptions which we hope uh, will be changed pretty soon. But uh, at the moment, in theory, I'm really excited for what's coming. I hope it reflects into practical world as well. Thank you. But uh, you, Bruno, what do you think about, what, what are your expectations in relation to the recent development? And how do you think that the Accessibility Act can be used to make uh, changes in Croatia, for instance? Well, uh, I am a skeptic by default. So uh, I have quite low expectations uh, from personal experience, but I have to agree with everything Jakob said because we do need some sort of regulation, some sort of enforcement to actually force everyone to start considering accessibility. Uh, we do have the same problems, like Jakob stated, uh, most things are inaccessible. Uh, public transport transport is uh, semi-accessible only here in Zagreb, in, in the capital, and that's only some of the time, not all of the time. So and and only only like uh, citywide uh, tram transport or uh, some local buses, not nothing major really. So uh, I do think that it's quite necessary, and uh, well, I hope it will be it will fare better than the accessibility of European Commission's website. So I hope we won't see a similar thing where uh, one thing is being preached and then another is actually being practiced. I'm always worried about legislation, any sort of legislation, directive, anything like that, since it tends to be quite vague. And uh, Jakob will remember uh, when we were attending one of the webinars held by a certain company, I posed a question why the um, presenter thought the web, di web accessibility directive was interpreted in so, so differently between countries? Was it because it was so vague or because the uh, uh, responsible institutions were ill-equipped to actually handle it? And I believe the answer is a bit both. And the, the, actually, the presenter did say that they believed you must not be too prescriptive with uh, certain directives and legislation, which is partially true because it's uh, quite difficult to define exact features that a certain product needs to have while also being broad enough because you cannot predict what will be invented, what will be created and put out on the market. But on the other hand, uh, the argument the person uh, stated was like, uh, um, this is an example for websites. So uh, what they said was uh, an, a good website in one country won't necessarily mean it's a good website for another country, which is concerning the um, visual impairment I have to strongly disagree with because I believe that uh, certain things can be quite strongly, narrowly and precisely defined regarding the visual impairment. So uh, you, can, you can say if a certain product or a platform, website, whatever, does not have speech or is not accessible via any screen readers in a meaningful way, then it's not going to be a good website in any country. So that's quite, uh, that's quite universal, I believe. And uh, I hope 
the recent shift in in the uh, uh, market that I've seen. Uh, by that I mean there are certain companies, uh, private companies, actually being formed and who are specializing in certain types of accessibility, providing certificates and other services. I hope that that shift will will push the rest of the market to actually consider. Okay, this would be good PR. Uh, we could use this, and that that will kind of uh, uh, you know pull the accessibility improvement uh, along alongside it. Because I mean, we've had certain leaps of in accessibility over the past few years because the for for instance the dark teams have become commonplace in design there are new tre- trends in design universal design which uh, which have helped accessibility greatly so I hope something like that will happen here although I am a bit um, skeptical as I've said more more than a little, a little maybe but um, uh, we as a creation blind union are actually uh, trying to get in contact with the uh, Responsible institutions uh, try to es- trying to establish uh, connections in the in the government to actually uh, get an early start on implementing this and also improving other aspects. So, um, I, I I really agree with you um, here that um, the on the topic of actually knowledge as well, and I think it's a very good time to reach out. Um, when we talk about web accessibility, the directive, um, I think one of the issues is why it hasn't worked so well is the very low knowledge of accessibility and uh, the way people who have a disability use assistive technologies. And the, uh, the, the knowledge among developers is, is quite low. And I almost think non-existent. I'm, I'm afraid. And uh, all, uh, yeah, exactly. Almost non-existent, <laughs> unfortunately. But I'm afraid we are kind of creating the same issue with the Accessibility Act here. So if you're going to be a uh, terminal manufacturer or a telecom uh, company or, or whatever, you still you know, don't know. So I think it's important for blindness organizations also to reach out, offer their knowledge. And um, this, this, this has also been mentioned that we, we kind of need more accessibility experts on the field because the, the need is going to grow exponentially and all the time because of those new new regulations. Yeah, so the training is constantly needed for because we need to train new potential accessibility experts. You cannot just, you know, okay, I'm a blind guy using an ex- a screen reader. I'm a accessibility expert. That's not how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. I think we would have been in a, in a much better place had it worked that way. But um, And uh, also you need to, uh, like you said, you need to train developers, you need to train, you need to teach Everyone basically, the the uh, wider public, uh, you know, the ge- the, the um, general public, uh, why that's important. Uh, in one of the round round tables, I spent my whole lecture just explaining to everyone why skip to content is quite crucial for navigating any website, for instance. Mm-hmm. And as we as we saw in the accessibility report, uh, I think Jakob, you would be uh, quite familiar with that uh, navigation was listed as the top issue people have with any sort of website, which is not surprising at all to, to anyone who is in this field. Um, and yeah, the, the issue is, like um, like I said, the, the vagueness is quite an issue. And I think I have not studied the act itself. Uh, I have not had the chance to study it quite thoroughly. But uh, I am pretty certain, um, I, you can correct me on this one. I hope I'm wrong. but. Uh, 
is there any mention of localization as an accessibility feature so that any product needs to be localized in the in the native language because uh, localization is one of the key factors for uh, actually making something accessible to the wider audience because you know uh, I know English Jakob knows English but not everyone does and not everyone needs to mm. do you have any answer to that Jakob or yeah well um, as far as I know the act doesn't contain anything mentioning localization and certainly for example uh, Estonia is uh, taking over the act um, within uh, accessibility law um, unfortunately, the accessibility law is basically like a translation of the act into the Estonian um, legislative system. And this doesn't either contain anything uh, mentioning localizing, which, which I, in my opinion is bad because uh, many of those devices uh, speak in English uh, fine. Um, the text-to-speech synthesizers are available for, for English, but not so in Estonian. So that's a, as a small language, we, we kind of need to think of that. Yeah, so uh, like I said, that's an often overlooked feature alongside affordability. Because as we all know, uh, I mean, the prices of any sort of uh, accessibility aids are quite ludicrous, at least here in Croatia. And and. Uh, just a few of them are subsidized. Actually, you can get remittance for any of them, and and so that, that's affordability and localization are uh, probably the two entry point requirements for accessibility for for anything. So, if I don't speak the language the device does, and and I cannot purchase it, then I'm not going to use it. And uh, mm. when may you I eliminate ask, those may two, I, may I ask? Sorry to interrupt you. May I ask, uh, Bruno? Uh, you men- we talked about the level of knowledge and you mentioned like the training was one of those things which was important. I, I just wonder, are there any other uh, uh, thoughts you have on how to solve the lack of knowledge uh, uh, among um, uh, providers of services and so? Because uh, as you say, both of you, this is a key issue. Yeah, so we do host uh, uh, lectures and uh, like public panels, presentations, educations, all sorts of things for different profiles of people. So professionals, uh, like for instance, medical staff. We do ha- we do not have anything specifically for developers, but we do. I personally participate in anything uh, technology related. So we try to reach a wide audience uh, via that. So we. Uh, basically insert us ourselves into some events which would be widely visited because as uh, someone else uh, on one of the other uh, conferences mentioned, it seems that the audience, that the uh, attendees for any sort of accessibility uh, panels or any sort of such events seem to be always, you know, the same few people. So that's not reaching quite wide enough. And uh, I know there's been talk and uh, some uh, training resources which are free and some are paid uh, have been and are being actually created for developers, for instance. And that's something we can do. So we can create resources, maybe educational videos. Well, that's basically it. I mean, we've we've had several companies, uh, actually one telecom provider, uh, it was it was just a single person actually interested from the telecom company asking us how they could make uh, uh, telephone bills or another uh, bills for their services more accessible to blind people. So and they they had considered you know printing them in braille and stuff like that, which uh, some of that was pointless. But uh, it it was great that they actually had shown 
mm. some interest. So I, I understand that uh, the, the Association of uh, uh, Blind and Partially Sighted in Croatia plays a key role in this. Uh, 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 sorry, just a small correction. It's it's a blind union, just blind for now. Unfortunately, okay. uh, partially sighted are quite left in the open. Unfortunately, in Croatia. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. So, thank you very much, Bruno, for that. Now, uh, Jakob, uh, talking about the lack of knowledge uh, amongst the uh, service providers, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on how how can we try to uh, solve this uh, gap which uh, exists? I think one of those things is we need to show the benefits um, of accessibility features to um, more groups of people. So the misconception of accessibility today is that accessibility features are needed just by disabled people. But it's not like that. And first of all, we haven't really defined what is the um, definition of a disabled person. So I think we need to... uh, also concentrate more on if we make those changes who will benefit not only screen reader users but maybe people who are elderly or who are um, or, or if we make the website simpler or the application simpler to read or use then not only low vision people uh, benefit for that but also like elderly people uh, children people who are using their device one-handed who are using it in a car or a bus exactly uh, who are yeah. in a hurry or tired etc so I think those we, we need to kind of emphasize those um, values in various areas more to 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 make the understanding that it's not just a small target group because unfortunately when we talk about private sector a lot of them will eventually you know start putting in, into the numbers so when we spend you know, those tens of hours or hundreds of hours of development for accessibility. What's our gain? How much users do we gain? You know, how how much will they pay? Those are the questions you really shouldn't ask because, you know, you would really ideally want your product to be as usable. But um, this is one of the areas, I think, where a lot of people would benefit because we've seen those examples where... um, services which are accessible are being used by the greater public more or preferred by the greater public because it's it's usable and um, I quite often like to 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 make this example of pyramid that visually impaired people or, or disabled people are usually at the top uh, with the greatest needs of uh, accessibility but down at the other other groups of users, the need is there as well. It might be smaller, but the need is there. And not everybody would realize it, or not everybody would complain about this. But um, if you would ask in detail uh, from people about some service which is not accessible, you would find that they will complain about a lot of those things which are trouble for, um, for users with disabilities as well. So I think the broader benefits of accessibility should also be emphasized during, during those uh, trainings and meetings, etc. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what we actually do. And it's, it's uh, you, it, great points you, you brought up, actually. So maybe uh, the collective motto of all associations of the blind or uh, the movement in general could be accessibility equals usability because you never know when an accessibility feature can prove useful to you. Uh, I mean, uh, one one example that has nothing to do with uh, visual impairment or any sort of uh, visual uh, disability. Uh, 
uh, is, uh, I don't know if you've noticed uh, in uh, modern cars, especially hybrids, we, we've, uh, we've had several of those, um, you have, you know, the, the car mode in, on, on a phone actually makes everything bigger, fewer icons, so you can concentrate on the road. But now, with all sorts of the uh, uh, statistics and, and, and icons and everything's been crammed into small displays, in the infotainment center and you need to pay quite close attention to what's on screen and you and you lose focus on the road and that's that's something that can that can also be counted as reduced accessibility because it's endangering endangering everyone so you're both targeting actually uh, one uh, uh, term here which is uh, sometimes used which we call universal design but that could be a way forward could we, because we are approaching the end of our podcast, could, could you please, Jakob, tell us about this, a uh, uh, little more about uh, universal design and what, how you think this could be something which uh, could create possibilities for the future? It's slightly overused, in my opinion. Everybody likes to use the word universal design, but it's been uh, implemented more rarely. Um, but in broad terms, universal design would be a design of a product, uh, um, where it would, you know, the design would uh, uh, take everybody's needs in account, and that's, you know, an ideal definition which, in many cases, cannot be implemented in 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 in, in practice. There, there, are, you know, are some conflicts, but we can do a lot. For example, one one way, you know, to do universal design is um, not break things which are working. And um, you know when the, the the example of cars is 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 very good, and I would take another example from there. The new Mercedes, which came out this uh, last year, uh, has a whole touchscreen touch, uh, dashboard. Like it has a huge touchscreen. It has no buttons. What is the main, most biggest complaint in the reviews that it is? hard to use the screen while driving because you cannot, you know, people are used to, um, you know, putting their hand to the dial, turning the dial, we get the climate warmer or, or volume higher. But now you have to look into the, the button is there, but you have to look where you touch. And obviously, like, it's an accessibility issue as well, because when you're blind, you, uh, maybe a, a, a um, passenger, you wouldn't be able to do this. So I think it's a perfect example where we try to fix things which are not broken. And another example is those payment terminals. I I, I have no idea why do we need touchscreen payment terminals. I mean, it wouldn't display anything but the keypad, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. That's what you need. And okay, one benefit um, I have heard is that they are easy easy to clean. Uh, I wonder how do they do they make calculations? How much time do they win when they have a touchscreen terminal versus a button terminal? How much time do they win not cleaning it? <laughs> so so basically, what I, what I want to say is, I think the first thing when thinking of designing something is what things work and what don't, and why do we want to change things? And um, if you just say it looks cool, then you really need to think again. Guys, you have been fantastic. I'm so happy that you took your time to be participating in today's podcast because now we are actually at the end of it. I want to thank you, everybody, for listening to the RISE Reporting Podcast. Well, this show is a part of a European Parvis project and it's led by the European Blind Union, the Swedish Association of the Visually Impaired and the Eye Association of the Netherlands. 
The project is supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Program of the European Union. So did you get more curious uh, about talking uh, about these issues or maybe talk to our guests? Well, you're welcome to contact us. Uh, you can find contact details in the show notes. So thank you very much also to Emil Cornelis, who is our sound master. And the next episode of this podcast is planned to be aired in about two months. So don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app or uh, maybe just find us on an EBU webpage. So we wish you all the best and see you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast was supported by the Rights, Equality and Citizenship Programme of the European Union.